The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning. Welcome again to Morgan Hill Bible Church. We are uh, nearing the end of our series that we're doing called More Than a Label, how being a Christian is more than just this label we put on ourselves, but how salvation changes all of our lives, our past, our present, and our future as well. Well, if you, uh, if you saw and, and watched the midweek videos um, that we put out a few times a month, uh, quick sales pitch, if you never see the midweek, you can sign up online or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. So you see those are right, end of sales pitch. Uh, but if you, if you saw those, um, it was each of our pastors gave a quick overview of uh, their favorite book from this last year and recommended it to, to you and for various, various reasons why they did. Now, I asked the pastors about a week, maybe two weeks before we filmed, and I, I just told them, hey, listen, this is our idea, so what I want you to do is, is you're going to tell everyone this was my favorite book and, and why. And none of them had this dreaded look on their faces like, I haven't read a book this year. So thank you for the week's warning. I will go read a book. Because one of the, the reasons that our pastoral team is such an incredible team of leaders and, and pastors is because they are constantly learning and growing, right? And they understand, all of them have a posture of teachability. They all understand that I haven't yet arrived as a pastor, certainly, but as a Christian, as a spouse, as a parent, and that all of them and all of us have areas of growth needed and necessary in our lives. See, no Knowing you haven't arrived is actually a sign of maturity and recognizing that there is still room and opportunity for growth in your life. And today what we're going to talk about is the biblical word called sanctification. And sanctification signifies this journey towards holiness, the growth that God wants to see in every single one of our lives. See, we are saved at a certain point in our lives. We're gonna talk about this more. It's, it's not because of our works that we're saved, right? It's purely because of God's grace that we achieve salvation and that God gives it to us. All we have to do is trust in him. But God doesn't want us to stay there. God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow and to progress in holiness away from sin in our lives and towards Jesus. And scripture is filled throughout with this command, this expectation that the followers of God would be people committed to lives of holiness and growth in following after him. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, it says this in chapter 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right, that for the people of Israel, holiness was an expectation. It's what they should strive after. This being set apart from sin and towards God. What, and what is the standard? What's the aim of holiness? Not just to be better than the people around you, better than the nations back then or the people around you, but the standard of holiness, the measure is God himself. Right, that, that is the aim, the goal of our lives. 1 Thessalonians 4 puts it this way. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? God's will is not this mysterious plan that he has for your life, but, but that in every single opportunity and circumstance that you encounter, that you would grow closer to Jesus, this idea of growth in our lives. A few verses later, it says that God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, 
That God has not saved you to stay where you are, but has saved you and wants you to grow to be something else. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 5, is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous and longest sermon that we have. And in a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is uh, talking about the Old Testament and saying, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. And when it comes to this standard of holiness and growth in our lives, Jesus doesn't notch down the expectation. In fact, he keeps it the same. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That continues to be the goal that Christians should strive after in their lives. Now, will we ever reach sinless perfectionism? No, you won't. You will never have a day where you look back honestly on your day and be like, I'm pretty sure I'm 100% today. 100% perfect. No, you just lied right there, so now you're not, right? Like, none of us will ever reach sinless perfectionism. But with the goal being perfect, don't let it, don't let it paralyze you into this enormous goal that God has that you would look like him. And I love the, the quote that was given to me many years ago. Someone said this, and I'll never forget it. God's lifetime goal for me is perfection. His daily goal is growth. God's lifetime goal for you is perfection, to be like God himself, but his daily goal for you is, is growth, to pr progress in your salvation, to move into what God has for you. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about what does sanctification look like? How does spiritual growth happen in our lives? And we're gonna look at four things. These four things are by no means exhaustive. If you like one of the things that I didn't put out, it doesn't mean that I don't value it, but I get you wanna go home and eat lunch and watch the 49 hours this afternoon. So we're not gonna be here for four hours today. So we're just picking four, all right? So what, what, does, what contributes to our spiritual growth? First is this, is we grow through intentional effort that we grow in our lives when we give it intentional focused value and effort in our lives, set aside time and make spiritual habits, we sometimes are called spiritual disciplines in our lives in order to know God more. Second Peter 1 says this, for this very reason, make every effort, not if you have time, not if you feel like it, not if you wanna be a super Christian, but no, these are things, standards for everyone who's a follower of Jesus. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you've been saved, now live like it. Work it out. Do something about this salvation that you have received to change our lives. 2 Corinthians 7 says this, since therefore, so excuse me, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Again, Hebrews 12, this is the last one, don't worry. We could keep going on and on and on. There's no shortages of passages to talk about this. Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us 
lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. An athletic metaphor of us throwing back the things that would hold us back in this life. Why? Because we have this goal to run to Jesus, to look like him, to be perfect as he is, to be holy as he is perfect. Now, every time I start to think and talk about this idea of us needing to make intentionality in our walk with Jesus and growing in our relationship with him, I'm always reminded of something a seminary professor of mine said many years ago, and he said this, people do not drift towards holiness. People do not drift towards holiness. In other words, there's no one who grows in their walk with Jesus, who becomes growing in spiritual maturity, set aside seeing holiness, seeing the fruit of the Spirit in their life, and they turn back and look at their life and say, I don't know how that happened. I just kind of ended up here. Nice, mature, godly, Bible-believing. No, no one accidentally arrives there. We don't drift towards us because the things of this world actually pull us away from God. They don't push us towards him. See, the the forces of this world always pull us away from the things of God. And this is not meant to be a statement on our current world or the political parties or anything like that. This is true of all times and in all places. That because humanity is sinful and then sinners reside together, that then sin is in our relationships. And if we just follow the teaching and desires and cultural norms of the world, it will lead us away from God. And if we just go along with what everyone else is thinking and doing, it does not lead to holiness, but it pulls us away from the life that God would have for us. Another force that pulls us away from holiness is your own flesh, the own desires that you still have within you. If if you know in Romans chapter 7, Paul puts it this way. He says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Because you are saved, but you still have this sinful nature inside of you. And there's this battle at war inside you between what the spirit would want and what your selfish, sinful flesh would want. And just be, if you just live your life on what you feel and what you want to do, you will not end up looking more like Jesus. Another force that pushes us away from God is the reality of spiritual warfare. And we sometimes choose to ignore it or don't want to talk about it. But the reality is is Satan cannot stop your salvation, but Satan would love to stop your spiritual growth. And he would love to distract you and to make you busy and occupied with all the wrong things so that you stay immature and not walk into the fullness of what God would have for you. Now, sometimes when it comes to this idea of of us putting forth our own efforts and working out our salvation and making every effort like these passages have called us to, it's a a hard thing for some of us to grasp because we, we don't understand fully the concept of grace versus human effort. Right, Because we are saved by grace. It's not by works. It's what Jesus has done for us. If you remember, that was the first sermon of this series. Anthony preached a whole sermon on grace. Is God giving us what we don't deserve? And we think because we're saved by grace, and that doesn't require anything on our behalf. Well, I love how Dallas Willard put it. He said, grace is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort after grace has been received. See, if you've been a recipient of grace, it should lead not to a spirit of entitlement, but a spirit of thankfulness, of understanding the privilege that we have as a recipient of grace, and then motivated to live a life of effort because of the blessings that we have received. 
I was thinking this week, and, and this is how I try to reflect on this in my own life. So the, the school, the college that I went to is a college that's specifically designed for, for college students who believe they're going into some sort of full-time Christian ministry. And so it's not a liberal arts school. You go there if you want to be a pastor, a Bible teacher, a missionary. Those are kind of the, the fields that they offer study in. And because of that, it actually is a program where they only charge you as an incoming student, they only charge you room and board. And so they make it very affordable compared to what most private Christian educations would be. Now, we would always say as students, we would say that the school was tuition free because we didn't have to pay it, right? But the faculty and administration would always remind us, this is not a tuition free school, it's a tuition paid school. In other words, someone else paid tens of thousands of dollars, and ultimately in the course of over four years, hundreds plus of thousands of dollars, so you could have the opportunity to study here and learn about God and equipped for ministry. And they would always remind us of that, that someone else gave us a gift. Someone else paid for us. Why? Because they want to say, don't act entitled because you're here, but, but take advantage of this blessing and opportunity that you have. Now, it was college, so some kids took advantage, others didn't, right? We all know college kids, we've all been there. But the reality is when we have received a gracious gift from someone and we understand the significance of it, it should motivate into our hearts out of thankfulness and gratitude to live in and make every effort because we realize how undeserving we actually are. And that's what it looks like to receive God's grace and because of that, not have entitlement, but have this desire to work out our salvation, to make every effort to live as God would have us to live. Now, one of the lies that, that we often believe and tell ourselves, and I've told myself this many times in my life, that, that hold us back, that excuse our lack of effort when it comes to following after Jesus is this. We will tell ourselves something like this. I'll, I'll prioritize Jesus. I'll prioritize my walk with God when I have more time. I'll do it when my life is not so busy. I'm convinced now that my life will slow down when I die someday. I'm pretty sure that's when it's gonna slow down. Right? And, and when, when you're, you're like, okay, well, if you're a student, you're like, well, I'll, man, school is so busy, so I can't prioritize God. Now, I'll, I'll wait till a little bit later. And then you get in your career, you're like, okay, that's really busy too. And then if you get married, you're like, okay, that makes it more busy. And then if you have kids, you're like, okay, that makes it more busy. And then you start growing in your career, which means more responsibility, which guess what? Makes it more busy. And eventually you'll find yourself decades into walking with Jesus, having never prioritized it simply because you say, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. People with great spiritual depth and maturity in walking with Jesus have the exact same number of hours of the day that you and I have. What's the difference? Is they've made it a value in their life. See, the truth is, and we see this in every area of life, you will make time for what you value the most. You will make time in your life for what you value the most. Some of you will not miss the 49er game today. Why? Because that's what you value. That's what you want to do. You'll make sure you get to see it because that's a value that you've put in your life. And we can't say, well, I don't have the time. Even here in this high pressure, high work environment area of Silicon Valley, I know of many CEOs and high ranking people in huge tech companies here who have great spiritual maturity and who are walking with Jesus. They are busier than you and I, but they make the time because it's a value to them. 
Dallas Willard talks about how we need to rearrange our lives around this when we become a follower of Jesus. He puts it this way. The disciple is one who intent upon becoming Christ-like and so dwelling in his faith and practice systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. And I said, they're so intent on becoming like Jesus, they will arrange their life around it. Why? Because they value it so much. And for some of us, the lack of spiritual habits that we have in our lives really is a reflection of our lack of desire to grow in walking with Jesus. That if you have no habits at play in your life of, of rhythms, of scripture reading, of prayer, of fasting, of worship, of community, of all these other things, if there's zero rhythm of that in your life, and it's just kind of like, well, I'll show up to church when I can, and we'll do this when I can, but there's no practice, there's no intention, there's no thoughtfulness, it shows a lack of actual desire in our hearts to grow to be like Jesus. See, your current spiritual habits are perfectly designed about to bring about the current spiritual growth you're seeing in your life. Now, our growth is, depends more than just our habits and what we're doing, but it is a crucial factor. And if you look back at your life, I don't mean like this week or this month, but if you look back to the last two to three years of your life, if you've been following Jesus for that amount of time, and if you see some spiritual growth, you see the fruit of the Spirit, man, I'm loving people more, I'm more generous, I'm more joyful, I'm more patient, you see these things growing in your life, you probably have some habits in your life that have helped guide you to a place where you look more like Jesus, and if you continue those, will help trajectory, you'll continue to grow in those into the future. But if you look back at your life for the last two to three years, and you're like, it's basically the same. I don't look any different now than when I did back then. Could I just suggest to you that maybe it's because you haven't been putting forth the effort that God calls you to. And you're not gonna naturally drift towards holiness. Maybe try instituting some habits into your life, making every effort, rearranging your life around Jesus, working out your salvation. This is a key element towards spiritual growth. The next element in spiritual growth is this, secondly, is we grow through God's word. We grow through God's word. Scripture plays a fundamental and a primary role in sanctification and spiritual growth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them and we'll be set apart for God by understanding and knowing the truth of scripture. Second Timothy 3 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice those words, that it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness, it equips us. That the, the, the word of God has a primary role in shaping how we view the world, how we view God, and how we view ourselves, and then how we live that out in the world. This has always been the expectation in walking with God that scripture plays a fundamental role in our understanding and in our development of following after him. Back in Deuteronomy, when it was talking about raising up children to follow him, it's just this idea of, of the words of God being printed in your doorposts and that you talk about them when you come and when you go, that scripture itself is a regular routine, practice, talked about dialogue regularly in the home. Now, spiritual maturity is certainly more than just biblical knowledge. 
Right? Someone can know a lot about the Bible and not be a spiritually mature person. Someone can know a lot about the Bible and not actually be a Christian. I've met people like that before. Great Bible knowledge, don't believe any of it. So biblical knowledge does not equate necessarily to, to, to spiritual maturity. But I'll say this, you cannot be biblically illiterate and spiritually mature at the same time. All right, biblical knowledge does not necessarily mean maturity, but you cannot be biblically illiterate, have no idea what scripture teaches, not be in God's word, and also be spiritually mature at the same time. It's not an accident that when you see Christians and churches move away from the teaching of scripture, from what the gospel is, that the gospel implications and what it clearly teaches in our lives, oftentimes underneath that, the, one of the first things to go is a lack of a value and teaching and priority of God's word in their life. And this is so true that scripture needs to be fundamental for all of us. And for me, this hits home. This is especially true for those of us who have kids at home. See, if you have kids in home like I do, you are the primary discipler of your children. It's not the church when you drop them off for an hour a week with Shawnee or with Dustin or with Anthony, as great as they are, and our kids workers and our youth workers are, you are the primary one to teach them the word of God. And how can we know how we are to bring our kids up in the faith, the truth to pass on to them if we ourselves are not committed to learning and discovering and growing in the truth of God's word ourselves in our own lives? See, I, the, the world we live in and the world that our kids are growing up in, is a, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? When you start to look and hear the messages that our kids are having to face. It's very different even than the world 20 to 25 years ago when I was a kid being raised. And if you were 40, 45, 50 plus years ago, it's very, very different than it was back then. And sometimes people will say, well, aren't you, aren't you shocked at the messages that the world is sending to our kids? And in some ways, yes, it is shocking. But to me as a pastor, I would say, well, no, because I, why would I ever expect the world to line up with the truth of Scripture? You know what to me is the most shocking thing? It's how ill-prepared so many parents are to help their kids in the face of what they are growing up with in the world today. That when they come home and saying, my teacher said this, my friend said this, I heard this from, from someone else on my sports team, the parents don't understand the truth of God's word. They're not rooted in scripture to help them say, all right, you've heard this, let's come back to what God's word says. Let's measure what the world says, let's measure what your friends say to what God's word says, because this is our anchor, this is where we find our truth in. And we must root ourselves deep in scripture. And as we do so, its effects will start to take place in our lives. Now, as we start to grow in these things, sanctification is progressive. It's walking, it's journeying towards Jesus. But the journey of sanctification is always a slow journey. The journey of sanctification from our perspective is always slow. What I mean by that is you won't like wake up next Wednesday and look back at your life and be like, man, last week I was such a spiritually immature person, but look at me now, right? Like you will not arrive like in two or three days time, right? That, that it's a journey over many, many years of walking with God. And you often will not notice the spiritual growth in your own life. It's kind of like watching kids grow. That if you see kids grow and you see them day in and day out, you don't notice the growth that they have until you are away from them for a long time. Before I came here to Morgan Hill, I was a youth pastor at a church, the same church for 13 years. And so when I left, a lot of the kids who were in my junior high youth group, I knew when they were born. 
I had known their families. I had known them since they were born. Those junior high kids mostly are now high school kids. And once in a while, I'll see pictures of them on Instagram. And I'll be like, who is that? And I'll zoom in and be like, wow, that's like an adult male. That's not a tiny little kid anymore. Why am I shocked when I see it? Because I haven't seen them in years, right? When I saw them day in and day out, it wasn't like, wow, you grew a foot. No, but when you step back, you notice the progress over years of time. That's what spiritual growth often looks like in our lives, is we won't look radically different this week or next week or even next month, but it will start to notice over years of journeying and following with Jesus. It's why Eugene Peterson, in his book on sanctification, on discipleship, titled it, It's a Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A long obedience, meaning it's, it's repeated over and over and over again. And so God's word helps shape us and sanctify us in this journey of life. A third way that we grow in sanctification is that we grow through Christian community. That we grow through Christian community. When you look through the New Testament, as the evidences of salvation, the, the fruit of the Spirit, as they're called in Galatians, the signs that we know and are growing towards God, nearly all of them are relational components. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are things that happen in relationship. I'm really good being patient when I'm the only one in the room, right? I can put up with myself pretty well. But enter another person, suddenly I'm not so patient. Right? And, and why? Because, because Christianity is meant to be lived together in close community. There's, in the New Testament, there are 59 different one another commands. Love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. And sometimes these one another sound so foreign because we've lived such individualistic lives. For instance, James says this in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, that, that sounds so foreign to a lot of us because we're like, wait, I thought I only had to confess my sin to God. And you're like, yes, the Bible teaches that, confess your sins to God. But it sounds so foreign to us that you would have someone in your life that you would confess your sins to because we live such individualistic lives that we, so many of us don't have people around us that we could call up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. This is a challenge in my life. This is a sin issue in my heart that needs to be dealt with. Would you pray for me? So, so few of us even have those types of relationships that some of the Bible sounds so foreign to us because we've lived such individualistic lives. Now, there's a number of reasons why we do this. I think one of which is it's, it's just convenient for a lot of us to be individualistic, right? It's an option now. And this is a new thing in the human age that we live in, that we are independent and we can move and we're transient beings. And with that, we've lost a deep sense of, the deep sense of rooted community that's established that all of human history has had. So if you think back before the last 50, to maybe 50 even to 80, 100 years, you didn't have the option of just living an individualistic life, right? If the person who lived two houses down from me, if you didn't like them, you needed to get over it because you're gonna live next to them for the next 60 years, right? You're not just gonna get up and move across the country. No, you're gonna be there. You gotta right the wrong. You gotta, and when your thing breaks down, you gotta call them to help just because you'll go help them. Life was lived in community. And in the last really 100, especially 50 years, we've become transient beings that can move and go anywhere. And what's lost in it for a lot of us is this deep sense of rootedness and community where we have been planted deep in our lives. See, we need each other to grow into who God wants us to be. 
See, the measure of growth is not just biblical knowledge, but it's holiness and love that's only expressed through relationships with one another. You will not become who Jesus desires you to be in isolation. You will not become who Jesus desires you to be in isolation, just trying on your own. But it's only in community that we can learn and grow together. There's a phrase that uh, is used a lot to, to parents in talking about raising up kids to follow Jesus. And the phrase goes something like this. It's that Christianity is just as much caught as it is taught. And it's a reinforcement for parents that their example of how they live their lives is more important than actually the words that they use. And I, I fully agree with that. The problem is when we just use that as a parenting slogan, like when we're now in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and no longer, like we don't need good examples of what Christianity looks like after we turn 18, like suddenly we arrive. No, but when you're in your 30s and 40s, you need biblical examples. When you're phasing into retirement and what this next phase of life looks like, you need biblical examples into your life of what that looks like to honor God walking into that phase of life. We need people around us in every phase of life to help us journey and walk closer to Jesus. And I want to challenge you to intentionally align your life with others as you seek to follow God together. This is something that my wife, Kristen, and I have done for the last 13 years. It's taken different iterations, but we've been a part of a small group of couples and families for the last 13 years together. And I cannot tell you how much of the growth that we've seen in our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people making significant life choices, as a married couple, as parents, are not because of some Bible study we did, not because of a sermon we listened to, but because of the people that we surrounded our lives with. And we saw what they were doing and I said, yeah, I want our marriage to look like that. I want our parenting to look like that. It was something that was caught, not just something that we were taught. Even now, we're still in a small group. I also gather a couple times a month on Saturday mornings for what we call Saturday Men's Breakfast. And there's a guy who cooks for us every Saturday. That's a good motivation to get to bed early on a Saturday when you know you have a delicious meal coming. But we go and we gather and we just share over God's word. We share what God's doing in our lives, the good, the bad, how we can pray for one another. And then we go about our day. And it's not rocket science, it's not hard, but every guy who's there will tell you how important and significant that is in their lives because we need to be surrounded by other people who are journeying towards Jesus with us together. And if you don't have this type of community in your life, I would just challenge you to try and create it. Who, who are you friends with who's already walking with Jesus and how can you do this in life together? Rick, Pastor Rick, you would love for nothing more than to help you do this and walk together with other believers as we seek to follow Jesus. Fourthly and lastly, we grow through the Spirit's working. How do we grow in sanctification? We grow in sanctification. We become like God because God himself is working in our hearts, in our midst. Philippians chapter two, verse 12, we, we already read it earlier, the end of that passage. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Put forth the effort, do it. Put, put, put forth the effort, the very next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're like, wait, which is it? Do I work out my salvation? Do I make every effort? Or is it God working within me and he does the work? The answer is yes. It's you working and it's God working. It's both of them happening at the same time. 
Now, we, it's ultimately a mystery. It's exactly how it works. But the Bible calls us to make every effort, but to then rely and invite the Holy Spirit to what, do what he would do in our lives. In Galatians 5 says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, not just try harder, but walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, none of us will f- ever fully understand, I think, how our efforts and God's efforts totally work together. But I love how one of the church fathers, Augustine, put it. He says, without God, speaking of spiritual growth, without God, we cannot. With us, God will not. With, without God, we cannot become who God wants us to be. With us, God will not. Meaning God will not force you to become like him. See, God gives you, as a human, he gives you profound agency. He will not force you into obedience. He will discipline you, he will guide you, he will prompt you, but he will not make you do it yourself. Instead, he will wait for you to invite him into those areas of your life. As it says in Revelation, this image of Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. God stands at the door of your life and knocks and says, hey, do you, you want my help with that or are you gonna keep trying on your own? You want my help? And until we invite him in, he will often let us try on our own and flounder until we actually recognize our need and invite him in to our lives. There was a, a big shift in my thinking on this that happened about 10 years ago or so in a book I read and, and how we can invite the spirits working into our lives. And it's this, that when we think about spiritual growth, think about it not so much as things that you are doing, but what you're trusting God with. Not so much as things that you're doing, but what you are trusting God with. See, the last thing I want for you to leave today is to be like, all right, so all I need to do is I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do that. And suddenly you become legalistic and works righteousness. And it's all what you do that's a sign of spiritual growth. That's not what spiritual growth is. But it's all about also trusting in God. And see, the thing is, our whole, our whole salvation is rooted in faith, but then growing in salvation is also rooted in faith and continuing to trust God because your life and my life are always shifting and moving. And therefore, the things in our lives that we need to place our trust in God with are always shifting and moving. When it comes to trusting God, it reminds me of, a, of an old arcade game. We have a picture of it. Do you remember, you remember this game, Whack-A-Mole? where you have the hammer and the mole pops up out of the thing. And what do you do? You hit it. And then as soon as you hit it, what happens? It pops up somewhere else, right? And then you hit it and then it pops up again somewhere else. And the reality is, right, is like it will always be popping up somewhere. This is, this is for me, a visual look like of what it is to trust God with my life. That there's always something popping up. There's always a need in my heart. Right, like, oh yeah, I need to trust God with my future. And then when I get that, I'm like, mm, need to trust God here in my marriage. When I got that, need to trust God with my finances. When I got that, need to trust God in my parenting. Need to trust, oh, now it's back to the future. Now it's back, oh, now it's my health. Now it's someone else's health. And there's always something. For some of you, you're like, all of those things are true of me right now. Sometimes it does feel like it's all at once. It's the whole buffet of what I need to trust God and not just one or two things. See, but every single one of us has areas of our life that we need to grow in trusting God with. For me, one of the best ways to identify this is just ask yourself, what is stressing me out right now? What am I stressed about? Or if you're a guy because we don't have stress, where am I feeling pressure? Where am I feeling pressure in my life? You're feeling it at work? 
feeling it in your marriage, in your parenting with your kids, feeling it in your finances, in your health, in a friendship, in a family relationship that you know is gonna, you're gonna see in two weeks? What are you stressed about? And walking by the Spirit is that when we recognize where we need to trust God, we pause and we say, God, I invite you into this. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with this health situation. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my kids. I don't know how it's gonna look. I don't have the answers. But help me to trust you and walk with you closer and more through this challenge that I'm facing right now. And as you start to grow in your trust and inviting the Holy Spirit into every single area of your life, which will be constantly moving, as you start to do that, you will start to see spiritual growth because it's not just you putting forth the effort, but it's you're inviting God in as well. And he will start to do things and grow things in your life that never would have been possible on your own. God, we do thank you that salvation is not what we've done, but all what you have done for us. And we've received it by your grace. It's a gift. God, I pray for anyone here this morning who their spiritual habits are lacking. And they're not, those, those verses wouldn't describe what, we're, what our life is like. We're not making every effort. We're not working out our salvation. We're not setting aside the things that would hold us back. God, would you give us the, the understanding the desire to put forth those spiritual habits into our lives. God, that we would value you so much that we would set you apart and revolve our lives around you and wanting to become like you. God, and every single one of us shows up this morning with things in our lives, burdens, stress that we're carrying that we need your help with. So in the quietness of this place, would you simply invite the Spirit's work into where you need to trust Him more, into that relationship, into your finances, to your future. Trust Him with your marriage, with your kids, with whatever it may be. God, we thank you that you are a trustworthy God and help us to more and more place our trust in you and that the Spirit would work within us for your name and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.